Welcome to Southside Student Ministries podcast, where we are all about developing students into lifelong followers of Jesus. We trust that the message that you are about to listen to will help you know God better and help you live a transformed life. If you have any questions about what you heard, please visit us online at www.southsidestudentmen.com. Thank you for listening. We are in week two of Pursuit. Week one, we talked about the book of Daniel. What does Daniel mean for us today? How can we live to be like Daniel? We looked at five specific things that Daniel did when he was pursuing God in a world that did not pursue God. Tonight, we're going to take a little bit different aspect. We're going to hone in on one certain area, one certain thing that Daniel actually did in his pursuit of God that you can actually do, Okay. The last four are things that you just have to constantly make decisions to do, but number one, you actually have to learn what it means and how it applies to your life to actually go and do that. But before I get into that, does anyone know the name Jason Millard? Actually, let me ask back this up. Anyone who actually golfs? Like, is anyone actually golf in this room? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah? I haven't golfed in a long time. Yeah, what was golfing last night? That is, that is what's up. I love mini golf. So I know Morgan. Morgan's on the clay golf team. I think she's golfing for the trying. Like, I think she's golfing yes. for trying university on their team or whatnot. So golf is a wonderful sport that makes a lot of people mad, frustrated, and really challenges your testimony, to put it that way. But Jason Millard, I don't know if you've heard this guy before, but back in 2014, he disqualified himself from the biggest tournament he ever made into. You see, Jason Millard was an amateur who never like got anywhere in the professional circuit, okay? So he did really well in college. Uh, he was the uh, University of Middle Tennessee. He was uh, player of the year twice for his conference. He did a lot of really cool things, but when he went professional, he had a really hard time making the big stages, like the U.S. Open, um, all over, I mean, there's U.S. Open, there's, I know the tennis one's really well, but I don't know the golf the ones Masters. too. There's the Masters, he was talking to the Masters, there's the British Open, all these various different things, these different Opens, he was never able to make it, but finally, finally, he made the U.S. Open by one stroke. He beat a guy by one stroke to get himself into the U.S. Open. If you don't know how the U.S. Open works, it's actually open to everybody in the U.S. and around the world here in the United States, it makes sense, but you actually have to qualify to get into it. He tried for years and years and years to actually qualify to get into this tournament, and he never made it, but he finally did it. You have to do four different rounds, put your score together, and then you get into the U.S. Open or not. And then throughout the entire tournament, you just slowly get cut. So he made it. He finally did it, but he disqualified himself from the U.S. Open in 2014. If you know golf rules, this will make sense. But if you don't know golf rules, this is really, really confusing. But you know how bunkers are like over by the greens? Like they're the big sand pits on the golf course when your ball goes in there. Yeah. Like it's supposed to be like a really bad thing. Yeah. Well, does anyone know the rule about what your golf club is supposed to do and not do inside of a bunker? Well, you don't hit sand anywhere. Well, you're not supposed to hit sand anywhere. Your club actually cannot actually hit the sand until you hit the ball. If you actually take your club and you hit it and you hit, Colby knows, if you hit the sand before you hit the ball, that's actually a missed stroke. And you actually have to take two stroke penalty on that. So when he was doing it, he was talking with his caddy and when he went to hit the golf ball right before he hit it, he looked down and he's like, I'm pretty sure I hit the sand first. But he continued his round, he continued, he finished it, he made it through. He was fighting for this thing for about a, uh, about a week is what it said. He got back and forth on if he should disqualify himself for about a week. He actually called the actual PGA official um, keepers of the rules, those who actually like are in charge of the actual tournament himself. And they said, you know what, there was no cameras, there's no proof in it, it's up to your own word. 
If you say you didn't hit it, we'll let you in. If you say you hit it, you disqualify yourself. So he fought with it over and over and over and over and over. And he thought to himself, if I actually did hit it, I love this game so much, I feel like I would have actually cheated myself into this tournament, and I could not live with myself for being a cheater and breaking one of the most, honestly, one of the oldest rules in golf. So he chose that rather than continue on and maybe like actually sear his conscience to make his conscience actually okay, he disqualified himself from the biggest tournament. Now, I think he eventually went on to make it into the tournament, but he had a couple really rough years after that too. But he chose to disqualify himself from this tournament because he actually knew the laws of the game. And he didn't just know the laws of the game because a lot of people know the laws of golf, okay? You don't have to be a professional to know the laws of golf. But he loved the laws so much that by him maybe even breaking it, he couldn't even live with himself. But where did it all start? It started with the fact that he loved the game he knew the rules, and he knew the consequences because of his rules. When we look at Daniel and what Daniel was able to do, we looked at the five things that Daniel actually did to pursue God in a world that didn't. And does anyone actually remember what those five things are? I'm just curious if we can list them off. What are the five things that Daniel did? This is one of the beautiful things about a journal. You can look back and see what your notes are. What was one of them, Daniel? First off, I play Kasha Queens. No, I'm kidding. What? He uh, prayed constantly. Not just constantly, but he went and he ran to God when things got hard. That's when he went and prayed. But yeah, we knew no, he prayed constantly because after they made the law, it said just like he always did, Daniel went and prayed three times for his reasons. So we did always do that. Yeah, Marissa. He had a group of good friends. He had a group of good friends that actually helped him follow after Jesus. Yeah, Hannah. He actually knew the law of God. So the Bible says that he purposed in his heart that he would not go against God and God's law. So he actually knew what the laws were. Yeah, Jessica. He determined to follow God no matter what. No matter what. So he knew the law and he decided he was going to do it no matter what. And I think there's one more that we're missing. Number four, Jessica. He remembered that it was God alone who deserved praise. He remembered that God alone deserved praise in anything that he actually did. But Daniel knew the law and therefore was able to actually follow God. And my question for you is, do you know the law of God and what's expected of you? Now, the last four things, we already mentioned it. The finding friends, um, doing it no matter what. Um, remember that God deserves a praise. And Daniel ran to things when, 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 tough got, when times got hard. Those are just active decisions you have to make, okay? You have to decide to find friends. You have to decide to follow through. You have to decide to do it no matter what the consequences are. But the first one, you can't just decide to do until you know what it actually means. So tonight, we are going to actually try to understand and figure out what the law of God actually is. With what Daniel understood it and how we are to understand it today. Daniel, after he was taken from his home from a teenager, never read the Holy Scriptures again. All right, He never read his Bible again. He was taught the beliefs of his captors, and you could bet that he never went to the synagogue again for the rest of his life to worship God, where God was actually dwelt. But Daniel knew the law of God and how God wanted him to live. So let's fast forward to today, okay? So Daniel knew what to do, but in the Christian fears today, it's not always clear on how we should live. There's a lot of conversations of, can you do this, can you not? There's something called even gray areas where some Christians do it, but some Christians don't. But they argue, can I do it, can I not? Some people don't fully understand how we are to live as Christians. But in Old Testament times, there was an actual law. There was an actual checklist, an actual things of yes and no. And does anyone know where we find this law in the Old Testament? Where do we find it? Yeah, Nathaniel. Exodus. Exodus and? Leviticus. 
Leviticus for the Levites and yeah. Numbers. No. Okay. <laughs> Numbers is what told the people where they were going to live. Okay. What was the last book? I was just guessing. That was, was nice. That was, that was good. I got you. What was the last book? What's the one after Numbers? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. It's the law again. So in the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, it's called the Torah. These were the most sacred scriptures for the Jewish people. And most of the actual Jewish boys knew the entire Torah by heart. So before Daniel was even 13, you could just say, hey, bro, quote Exodus, and he would just start going. He would just list it out. He would start quoting Deuteronomy. So he actually knew what the law was. Now, there's, there is some argument in today's day and age of should Christians follow the law of God. And non-believers and skeptics even poke fun at us Christians because we don't always follow the law. Have you guys actually seen that TV show right now where this guy tried to follow the law of God to a T with like not wearing mixed clothes, could only eat certain foods, had to do certain things? Like it's on CBS. It's produced by whoever Leonard is in Big Bang Theory. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they have a TV show like that. There's also an actual guy in real life who actually tried to live according to what a holy standard is, according to the law. So people poke a lot of fun at Christians of, okay, so why don't you follow the whole law? You say you're a Christian, you say you follow the Bible, but how come you guys eat lobster? How come y'all love bacon? And how come you guys do all these various different things? And we point at the law and we make fun of it because we probably don't understand what the law actually is and how it actually works in the time that they did. But here's the question that we do need to ask is, should we as Christians follow the same law that Daniel did? If we're going to pursue God, we got to know God's law, but should we follow and pursue the same law that Daniel actually did? But like I said before, we answer that question, we have to understand what the law is. So today we're going to do a lot of history work, okay? And not just history, but more like facts and understanding. So if you're a nerd, if for terms of like, this is really cool stuff, you're going to love it. If not, bear with me to the end. We'll get through this. So, uh, this is what God's law is, all right? Very short. Write this down. This is what God's law is. Ready? God's law taught Israel how to live in all facets of life. Can you say that again? Yep. I'm going to grab a stool while I do it. Uh, God's law taught Israel how to live in all facets of life. Facets? All areas? In other words, God's law taught Israel how to live, act, and worship. Facets? F-A-C-E-T. F-A-C-E-T. S. So, in other words, God's law taught the Israelites how to live, how to act, and how to worship. And Jewish people actually love the law of God. We actually know that in Scripture. We, we see David writing songs about God's law. We see the, the, the prophets and the kings actually going into pure remorse over just the reading of God's law and the presenting of God's law. And they loved it so much that they would memorize it and they would live by it. And even by the time Jesus showed up, the religious leaders up until like when it was made all the way through Jesus, they actually made extra laws to make sure the original law wasn't broken. All right. So they love God's law so much that they didn't want to break it. So they actually added extra laws to make sure that if they broke this one, it's okay because they really didn't break the actual law of God. So for example, this is kind of how it would work in today's day and age, according to ice cream. Here we go. So let's say that God's law said it doesn't, it doesn't say this, but let's just pretend. So let's pretend that God's law says you can only eat one serving suggestion size of ice cream per day. Oops. Which, that would suck. Like, you actually know how small a serving size of ice cream actually is? It's like, 
Scoop. Like one, and what's what's a scoop? Like a little tiny scoop. It sucks. So let's say God's law said you can only have one serving size of ice cream per day, and you go, okay. Cool, I'll follow that. So that's what you do, right? You only have one like one serving size of ice cream per day and you do that. But then some people were scared that maybe, maybe sometimes you like, your one scoop is kind of like more like a scoop and a half because you got a little adventurous, you know? Or maybe, I don't know, like someone like snuck a little ice cream into your thing. Like you just don't know. You don't want to break the law of God. So someone's like, you know what? Just to be safe, let's just make little bowls where you cannot get more than a serving size in there. You only get three quarters of a serving size and let's sell it to people. Sound good? So they would make these bowls that are only three quarters the size. So when you'd put ice cream in, you would guarantee you would not actually eat more ice cream than you did. And let's say you put just a little bit more in there. It's okay because you're still actually not breaking God's law. No big deal. People are just selling it. You don't have to have it. But let's say one day the ice cream police came in and said, you know what? This is a requirement for everybody, okay? This is just gonna be the law. The no, law is no longer one serving size per ice cream. The law is now, you have to use this specific bowl to get this much specific ice cream, no questions asked. That's the law. If you break it, you break the law, okay? So, the original law was one thing. Someone did something to help them keep the law. It was just a guideline to help them keep the law. But then eventually they made laws on top of the other laws to make sure they didn't break that law. Do you get that? Does that kind of make sense in the ice cream world? No. So you have a serving size. Someone helps you and just creates a little guideline to make sure you don't break it. But then that little guideline, that helpful little tidbit, actually becomes now the official law. And the problem with that whole scenario and that whole situation is this, okay? People started to worship the law of God rather than worship the person behind the law, okay? They were so scared about breaking the law itself, they made laws to protect themselves from the law. And in doing such, they actually stopped worshiping God and started worshiping the law itself, okay? That's where the situation that started to break down that Jesus stepped into. That's why when you see Jesus doing certain things, people are losing their mind, they're freaking out, they don't know what to do, and Jesus is like, really? You're freaking out about this? Like, that's not what the law actually is. You forgot the purpose behind the actual law. And a lot of times, us Christians like to do that as well, all right? We know what the Bible says about certain things, so we want to put little stipulations in our life to make sure we don't sin, and that's not bad, okay? That's not a bad thing at all. The problem is, though, is when that stipulation now becomes the guiding factor of are you actually a good Christian or not, the Lisbon test for everybody, Okay, we'll talk about this more in a little bit differently, but standards can be different between people. However, they all need to be based off of the same actual thing. So people started worshiping the law itself more than the God behind the law. And one day, Jesus got in the flesh. Remember, we talked about this. Jesus, who's God in the flesh, who came to earth. During one of his sermons, the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus actually said this. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I have come to fulfill the law. So when Jesus came, Jesus actually fulfilled the law of God. In other words, Jesus actually did everything that was found in the law. He kept it. He did it. And he made it through the end of his life with actually keeping the entirety of the law of God. God. We could not keep it. We sinned. We messed up. There was nothing we could do to keep the law of God, but Jesus kept the law of God. And so much so that he didn't just keep it, but he actually fulfilled that law. In other words, we don't have to follow the law anymore. Jesus didn't just get rid of it, but he completed it. In other words, it's no longer a thing that we are trying to do any 
more. So that begs the question then, if Jesus fulfilled the law, do we need to just disregard everything in the Old Testament, how the Old Testament tells us to live, and we can just do whatever the heck we want? The answer is actually no. Because we need to understand what law Jesus actually fulfilled. And this is actually a question that I'm kind of curious to see if you guys know. But does anyone actually know the three different types of Jewish law that are found in the Old Testament? This is more of the history time. Yeah, what's one of them, Daniel? Like, don't eat meat that was used for idols. That is one of them. That's right. Don't eat meat given to idols. But more than just, uh, let's put it this way. More than specific laws, because there's like hundreds of them. Um, the... There's three types of categories. There's three types of law that are found in the Old Testament. Yeah, Marissa. Food hygiene and sacrifices. Food hygiene and sacrifices. So that would actually go into the ceremonial laws or the religious laws, things that you would have to do to keep yourself clean. That's right. So that's one of them. What's another type of law, if you guys know it? You don't have to know it. It's okay. Yeah, Gabe. Aren't there like mortal laws and stuff like that? Mortal law. Like, what do you mean? Moral? Moral? Mortal. Mortal. Get rid of the T. Yeah, there you go. There's moral laws. That's right. There are moral laws. And there's one more type of law. And this is the type of law that you deal with in America all the dang time. Yeah, Daniel. Laws themselves. Well, laws themselves, true. They're all, I mean, they're all kind of laws for, the old, for Israelites. But it's actually called civil laws, all right? Civil laws. In other words, how you actually live. So write these three, these three types of laws down. The three types of law in the Jewish time. One is civil. C-I-V-I-L. One is ceremonial slash religious. And the last is moral. The moral law. Civil, ceremonial, and moral. So someone let me know, what's a civic law? Like, just what is a civic law? Like, just in general, not in the Bible, just in general. Yeah, Fairchild. Obey the speed that is one. Now, what is the speed limit? I don't know until they catch me. No, <laughs> I don't care. So a civil law is a law that you just need to live by in the land that you live, right? So in the is let's have fun with America first. Before we go to Israel, let's have fun with America. So what are some of the civil laws of America? Fairchild said one. There actually is a speed limit. It's not a speed suggestion. It's a speed limit that you always go five over and you're okay. Yeah. So what's another, what's another civil law here in America? Yeah, Eli. You can't spit on a public sidewalk in California. They're also, ready for this one? In Georgia, on Sundays, you cannot walk around with an ice cream cone in your back pocket. And I, why would you do that? I, I don't know. And then in Connecticut, you ready for this one? In Connecticut, a barber cannot hum a tune while cutting your hair. He can go to jail. That is the most... There's something about in some state you can't have an elephant in a bathtub. There's one about... That's the legit question. How the heck did you even get an elephant in the bathtub? And here's the real question. There's always a reason behind the law. So when you read, if you just like, there's actually like dumblaws.com or something like that. Some of them are kind of inappropriate, but they're still hilarious. But when you read through them, you're like, you have to think, okay, you just don't randomly one day wake up and go, you know what? I'm going to make a lot of ice cream cones in the back pocket on Sunday. It's like, no, some ding-dong had to do that. Like, are you kidding me? Like, there's tons of dumb laws. But what are some real-life laws that we have to follow as Americans? In the state of Indiana or just in America in general? How many times would they have that's a, good, that's a good question. Like, a lot. So they were really stupid. So, so civic law here in America. Yeah, Nathaniel. Don't go to a random person shoot. You, yeah, you can't just shoot people. That's your second shoot, like, kill people reference between Sunday school and tonight. That's just really weird. Livia. 
You can't go streaking. Except in San Francisco. In San Francisco, you can go, you actually can run around naked, but if you sit, you have to have something between your skin and the bench. Yes, that is a real rule. I'm on vacation in San Francisco. I will just I will just watch Full House and Fuller House and enjoy that. So Eli. Oh yeah, you can't mess with your neighbor's corner. Fairchild. You can't. Oh, weapons of mass Or about this, you can't just carry a gun. You can't just carry a gun wherever you want. You have to have something to carry it. What is that called? A holster. A concealed carry permit. Thank you. How about this one? How old do you have to be? How or how old do you have to be to get a license? Sixteen. You have to be sixteen years old to be a license. How about this one? How old do you have to be to buy fireworks? 18. How about this one? When do you have to sign up for the draft? 18. You have to sign. It is illegal to not sign up for the draft if you're a dude, if you're 18. Pretty soon, girls, get ready. It's coming because pretty soon y'all will have to sign up for the draft too, I have a feeling. Here's another one. You ready? In Indiana, how much sales tax do you pay? 7%. Other places is 8. Some places is 10. It doesn't necessarily matter. All right. Bring it back in. I have a really funny one. You ready? Did you know it's actually illegal to remove your mattress tag? Yeah, I knew that. I knew that. Go home, find your mattress tag, and read it. And it says, do not remove under penalty of law. And if you've removed it, just put the sheet back over it and walk away. And don't tell anybody. In America, yeah, you cannot remove a mattress tag. So, but here's the deal. At the end of the day, oh, here, here's another one, too, that's specifically America, okay? What side of the road do you drive on? You drive on the right. You drive on the right side of the road. You can slap them whenever you want, Fairchild. So, if there's well, here you go. But listen up. I, I should not have given anyone sugar before teaching. So, here's the deal, though. Civic laws are only applied to Americans who live in America. If you're an American and go to England and try to drive on the right side of the road and you hit someone, you are now a murderer. Like, it's just what it is. Some states have different requirements. Like, Kansas's gun laws are completely different than Indiana. That's a different state. Sales taxes are different from where you go. There are some universal things that happen in America that are very just the same overseas. But at the same time, even drinking age is different overseas. In America, it's 21. Overseas, it's... There's not age. No, no, there is one. Germany, Germany you can drink with a parent below the age of... 14, and then at 15, you can, no, 16, you can drink by yourself. See, I think Spain, it was 18, I think, to, or something like yeah, that. Something in France. So every country is different, but here's the deal. When you live in America, you are submitting yourself under the civil law. But if you go to England, America's laws, they don't care about America's laws. They want you to live in the laws of the land right now. The Jewish people had the same thing, and some of those laws are actually in your Bible. I don't know if you knew that. There are some actual laws that the Israelites had to follow as Jewish people in the land of Israel in the Bible. Do we have to follow those? No, because we're not Israelites living in Old Testament times in the land of Israel. We're not that, so we don't have to follow those. One of the really fun ones is, is you have to build a roof, or no, you have to build a fence around your roof, and if someone is on your roof and falls off, you're now a murderer. Like, that's just a wall of the land for Jewish culture. They handle things with how do you handle debt? There was a year of jubilee. After seven years, if you, like, gave yourself to someone to service indebted them, at that seven-year mark, you're free. That's just what it is. If you had to sell your land that your family had as an actual 
This was your family land. At the year of Jubilee, whoever you sold it to gives it back to you. And we don't do that in America, but how you handle debt is actually talked about in the Bible. Another one is how you settle property line disputes, okay? It was completely different in Israel, how it is in America. Building laws, how you just live your day-to-day -day life. A lot of those laws are actually found here in the Old Testament. But you as an American, do you have to follow these laws? When I want you to talk, you don't. You as an American, do you have to follow these laws? No. Yes. No. Thank you, Colby. So you do not have to follow these laws because you're not an Israelite. So the laws that regard civilian lives were for Israel, America's for America, France for France. We don't need to worry about civil laws, okay? Now there's another law called the ceremonial or religious laws. And why, what are those all about? These are ones that we're more familiar with because this is where a lot of the portion of the Old Testament law is actually built around. So what are some of these ceremonial religious laws that we have to deal with in the Old Testament? Yeah, Hannah. It's like what you can sacrifice, how you sacrifice, what you do with what's remaining, all those kind of things. Yeah, the mode, the method, and the means of the sacrifices. Yeah, that's a big part of the Old Testament. What else is in there? I think Hannah took it all. So there's a book called Leviticus. What is that one all about? <laughs> what's in that book, though? What is it? There is, except for hygiene, but it focuses mainly around the priest and what the priest's job is, what the priest wore, what the priest did, when the priest did it. It was actually a rule book for the priest. It's almost like Pastor Scott handing me my, hey, here's like your employee staff of Southside Baptist Church. Here is your like, you know, code book for being an employee here. Just like you go anywhere else, you go to, you go to Culver's, you go to Chick-fil-A, go to Dairy Queen. They have a rule of conduct that they expect you to have. They have the same thing for the priest of that time, for the sacrifices, all these various different things. But in the law, when we see these religious ceremonial laws, we actually see two different things. You ready? This is huge. You see two specific things with the ceremonial laws. You see how the Jews were supposed to worship and obey God with sacrifices and the role of priest in worship. We learn how the sacrifices were needed to be made based on how you sinned, how you wanted to worship God, give an offering to God, thanks, etc., etc. And we learn about how God wants the Israelites to be clean and holy before him. Holy means set apart, how he wanted them to live differently. This is one reason why their dietary restrictions were different. Even their clothing was different. They could not wear mixed fiber clothing. You know what that means? You couldn't wear Under Armour. You couldn't wear cold gear. The VBS shirts that we have, you would be sinning. Like I just made the entire church sin because I made the entire church wear mixed fabrics. You couldn't eat like shellfish. You couldn't eat things with like split hooves. You couldn't do all these various different things. And some of those, yes, were for God to protect them because yeah, they didn't always have the like, you know, the best ways to prep food and store food. We get that mixed fabric. It's just whatever. But God did those things specifically to do one purpose and one thing alone to separate Israel from everybody else. A lot of the ceremonial and religious laws actually separated Israel from the rest of the world to say, these are my chosen people. And since you are my chosen people, here's how I expect you to worship me. So let's say someone wanted to become an Israelite. Like Colby decided he wanted to be an Israelite. He could become a God-fearing Gentile. He would have to come into the camp you gotta be circumcised. They would circumcise you. That would suck. Um, so you gotta take, take care of that. But then you have to actually, if you don't know what that is, ask your parents and have a wonderful conversation. So you have to be circumcised. You have to follow the rules. You have to submit yourself under these ceremonial things that the law say. You do not have to be an Israelite to follow after Yahweh, but you would have to set, submit yourself under these ceremonial and religious rules. And why? 
Because these rules is God telling man, this is how you will relate to me. This is how you will worship me. This is what I expect of you. This is how I want you to act in the land that you don't know. This is the stuff where skeptics and atheists and agnostics will poke fun at Christians right here. Okay, this is where they will start to do stuff where, hey, if you follow the whole law of God, why do you eat pork? Why do you eat shellfish? Why do you have mixed fabric clothing? They will bring stuff up specifically regarding the ceremonial and religious law. So the civil one is very easy to say. We don't follow those because we're not Israelites. But here's the question. Are we as Christians supposed to follow this specific style of law? And the answer is we should. We should except for one man, and his name is Jesus. In Hebrews 9, we don't have a lot of time to get there because we got to do some worship, but when you go to Hebrews chapter 9, I'll read one specific verse in there for you. It talks about that Jesus actually came and fulfilled every single aspect of the ceremonial religious law. Hebrews chapter 9, write that down, read it later. I want to at least read one verse in here for you, if, if I can find it. Um, but Hebrews chapter 9 pretty much flat out says that Jesus is the high priest, and he fulfilled all the priestly duties. Oh, and by the way, he also made a sacrifice that covered all sacrifice. Oh, by the way, that sacrifice was himself. And because of that, we now know... Uh, Know this. Let me find the verse real quick. Uh, it says in verse twenty-six. Otherwise, uh, no, let's 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 back it up. I had the verse written down, and then I deleted it because I wanted to read the entire thing. Um, it, when you read the first verse of Hebrews chapter 9, it says this. Now, the first covenant also had regulation for ministry in an earthly sanctuary for the tabernacle to be set up and talk about the tabernacle and what it was supposed to look like and act and do. There was also supposed to be priests that were supposed to make these sacrifices to God. But now that the Messiah has appeared, the high priest of the good things that have come in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is none of his creation, but he entered into the holy place once and for all. You ready? He entered the most holy place once and for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For in the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of young cows sprinkled those who are defiled, sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from from dead works to serve a living God. So when you read this and you understand what Jesus did, you know that God actually and Jesus fulfilled. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said he would come to fulfill the law. We know that Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law because he was the priest. He made the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. He actually completed it. We don't need that sacrificial system anymore. And now we see we don't need to worship God in a place. We don't need to go and give sacrifices because now we are now living sacrifices, wholly acceptable to God, because that is what our worship actually is now. So when we see these two laws, we see the civil one is done away with, the ceremonial, the religious one, we don't have to worry about it anymore because Jesus actually fulfilled that one. But there is one more law type that we have to talk about. And this is the one that us Christians need to follow. And that is called the moral law. Now, God has the moral law, a law which is based on God's character, who God actually 
is. These are laws that don't just tell Israel how to worship or live in their land. These are laws that transcend all laws, or they're greater than all laws because they focus primarily on how we relate to God and relate to others, ready, who are also made in God's image. In the Ten Commandments, we read one of the, pretty much the best area of where God's moral law is. The first one, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, you're only going to worship me. You should not make for yourself any idol, nor bow down to it, nor worship it. In other words, you should not worship anything but me, including time, phone, social media, money, power, sex, greed, all those things. You should not misuse the name of the Lord your God, both in how you speak, and ready for this, and how you live and how you act. Because if you are a child of God, you have God's quote-unquote last name stamped on you. How you live is a reflection of him. So is your life putting God's name in vain? Here's another one. You shall remember the, the, remember and keep the Sabbath day holy. Jesus put that into a different category. We'll talk about that a different later. Remember this one? Respect your father and your mother and your youth pastor. Says it right there, guys. Says it right there. Uh, that's the, that's the, what is it? The, no, that's more like the, yeah, that's the MS, MSV, the Mark Standard Version. So, respect your father and your mother. And even when you graduate, how about this? Respect your mark. There you go. So, uh, ready for this one, Nathaniel? Uh, don't commit murder or want to kill someone in your heart. Jesus had that one too. What about this one? You shall not commit adultery. In other words, no dingy before the ringy. Sounds good. All right. In other words, or dingy with other no sex outside of what God created it to be. All right, ready for this one? Do not steal. Bring my dang youth group pens back. <laughs> he brought me a gallon-sized bag full of them when he graduated. Uh, ready for this one? You must not give false evidence against your neighbor. And then the last one, you must not be envious of your neighbor's goods. You shall not be envious of his house nor his wife, even if she's hot. It says it right there. Nor anything that belongs to your neighbor. So when we see these Ten Commandments, this is why Christians hold to them so much. I don't think they really know why, but in this we see God's character. But when we see these actual law of God, how do we know that we're supposed to still follow some of these laws? How do we know some of these are supposed to actually be part of who God is and not just how God wanted to be worshipped? And the answer is very, very simple, Okay. Every one of these Ten Commandments was reiterated by Jesus in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus didn't just reiterate them, he boosted them, all right? He goes, yeah, you heard it this way, no, it should be this way. You heard it this way, no, it should be this way. And in fact, when you take all ten of these commandments and you wrap them together in one pretty package, you get this. You ready? This is what Jesus said. Someone said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, the entire law, what we talked about, what is the biggest, the baddest, the greatest? Which one should we put our tired stake in? And Jesus said to them, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your, Baptists like to forget about this one, all your mind as well. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the entire Old Testament. Every single law, every single thing a prophet said is based on these two factors. Love God and love others. When Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets, which means that we don't have to do them anymore, Jesus fulfilled the religious ceremonial laws. The civil laws were already done away with, but the moral law of God transcends everything 
And we are still to follow God's moral law today, summed up in this statement that Jesus said. So let's go back to Daniel real quick, okay? Let's go back to Daniel. He chose to pursue God, and he knew God's law. He knew all three of them. He determined to follow God no matter the consequences. He followed God with others who followed Jesus. He remembered that it was God who deserved the praise. And Daniel ran to things when God when uh, ran to God when things got hard. So if we want to be like Daniel, those last four things are conscious efforts that you have to actually make. But the first deals with how you're supposed to live in this world. So if you want to pursue God, you need to know what the law of God is, what the moral law of God is. And what is the moral law? Very easy. Love God, love others. If you want to pursue God in your everyday life, if you want to pursue God in a world that doesn't pursue God, you love God with everything that you are. And you love your neighbor as if you're loving yourself. What does that look like? When you're supposed to love your God, love God with all that you are, everything you do will now be filtered through that lens. Your media, your music, your, your TV shows, YouTube channels, whatever you do will be filtered through the thing of, well, this, does this bring me closer to God or not. This is why your parents harp on your butt so much for Christian music. Okay? This is this is the reason why. Now, do I only listen to Christian music? My answer is actually no. I listen to a lot of quote-unquote secular music as well. But Nicole even knows as well, if there's certain secular songs that are absolutely just filth and trash, I don't listen to them. I make fun of them. I don't always listen to them. So because crap in, crap out. Good things in, good things out. This is why your mind is actually a battleground that Satan's trying to do. Your mind and your heart. That's why media is such a powerful thing. What you see on social media, does that tear you up or does that build you down? Does that actually make you question your self-image and how God made you? Or do you see yourself through the lens that God made you? Did I say that right? No. no. What'd I say? Tear you up. You know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. I think everyone's faces that I'm like, what? So, Social media will either build you up or tear you down. How about that? With how God created you to be. Everything that you do in life will draw you closer to God or take you farther from it. And my question is, is do you put standards in your life to make sure that you are being drawn to God? Now, there's some things you can't just control. There's a lot of things outside of your control. You can't, you, you can't control that. You can choose how you respond to it. But my question is, is what you can control, is it good? Is it wholesome? Is it pushing you towards God or is it actually slowly pulling you away and believing the lies of the world? And with loving other, others, this is one that Christians I've been very, very strong about, okay? When the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself, that is unconditional, okay? You're called to love your Muslim neighbor. You're called to love your emo neighbor. You're called to love your gay neighbor. You're called to love your black neighbor, Mexican neighbor, white neighbor, Gabe neighbor. You're called to love everyone. And here's the deal. No questions asked. It doesn't matter if you hate them. It doesn't matter if you don't look like them, don't talk like them. Your culture is completely different. We're called to love those people. And my question for you is this. If you want to pursue God in a world that doesn't, what are you doing right now to follow God's law? It's really easy to know what God's law is. Daniel had to memorize five books of the Old Testament to know God's law. God's law for Christians is very easy. You love God, you love others, that's it. And my question for you, and this is what I want you to answer in small groups, okay? What can you do in your life right now to pursue God? 
What can you do in your life right now to actually put God's law into effect? What can you do right now to put God first rather than what you want first? What can you do right now to love your neighbor who you don't like? An active, actual, practical step to love your neighbor that doesn't look like you, sound like you, talk like you. What can you do to know God's law and not just know God's law because Daniel knew it, but what did Daniel do? He acted upon it. My question for you is, are you willing, do you have the guts to step up and not just know God's law, but act upon it? This is Mark Hyde, the pastor here at Southside Student Ministry. Just wanted to say thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this podcast. If it's been encouraging to you in any way, shape, or form, we would encourage you just to rate us. Leave us a five-star review if you can. It actually helps other students see us when they go looking for podcasts and know that we're just not a load of crap and that they can actually trust us with the content we're kicking out. We will see you all next time here on Southside Student Ministries Podcast.